This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. If you are traveling for this holiday, we urge you to exercise extra caution. But then if you're the kind of person who listens to this program, we're, we're pretty sure you're probably going to be doing that anyway. We, we hope so. Health authorities across the nation have advised people to, to not travel and to not get together in large groups. And, and that's, uh, that's good advice. But naturally, a lot of people do feel the need to go out and socialize. It's understandable. Again, if you take precautions, we hope you're going to be okay. We're going to do all we can to keep things on the lighter side on today's program. We'll do a smattering of uh, events in the news. And and I think spend a fair amount of time going to the archives. Well, our own book archives, that is to say, which is heavily stocked with the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader series. And Uncle John always seems to have uh, the kind of light fare that, well, it it just goes down pretty easy. And we're we're probably going to rely on a, a fair amount of that today. In fact, I think I'll start out today's show with a a quip from the author Douglas Adams, (laughs) once said, a common mistake that people make when trying to design something completely foolproof is to underestimate the ingenuity of complete fools. And we're sure when we read some of that stuff from the Uncle John's Bathroom Readers series, that quote will pop up again. But there's another quote that goes right to the head of the class, comes from the November 16th issue of The New Yorker, this article about... um, about how this was a bitterly contested election that, that embodies a, uh, a, a deep American conflict. Article by Evan Osnos. What stood out to me was the following quote. <laughs> Osnos noted that in 2018, the comedian John Mulaney offered an analogy for Trump's managerial style. He compared the president to a horse loose in a hospital, describing him as a wild-eyed creature dangerously out of place. No one knows what the horse is going to do next. Least of all the horse, said Mulaney. As metaphors go, that, one, that one's pretty, pretty top of the line. And before we get to miscellaneous categories that will, that, will, that will dominate today's program, we do urge you, dear listener, to listen to both of the last two Radio Parallax shows. Our interview two weeks ago with Greg Pallast on our interview on last week's program with Stephen J. Harper, we think are as, as good as anything we've ever done and certainly worth listening to for what both men have to say in these trying times. And in these trying times, there's quite a bit of good news. It does appear that the General Services Administration is now uh, officially beginning the transition between the current administration and the next the Biden team does need to start talking to people in the administration on the uh, Trump uh, vaccine team and, and decide how they're going to coordinate this come January 20th. And to that we say, thank God. Thank God for is this item from the week. Apparently, Trump's top deputies labored to dissuade him from preemptively attacking Iran's main nuclear facility last week in an extraordinary Oval Office meeting that came one day after international inspectors revealed that Iran had created enough low-enriched uranium, had created enough enriched uranium to build two weapons. The New York Times reported that Trump asked for options 
for attacking the Nantes nuclear site during the final weeks of his administration. The request was reportedly met by opposition from newly installed Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller, as well as from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, as well as Vice President Mike Pence, and from General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Despite the International Atomic Energy Report, Iran is said to be months from building a weapon and has less enriched uranium, 5,000 pounds, than the roughly 25,000 pounds it turned over after signing a multilateral nuclear accord in 2015. Now, of course, the United States pulled out of this nuclear accord, and this may have something to do with why Iran has gone ahead. Let's, let's, hope, let's hope this can all be put into reverse come January. And if we are going to take a minute to, to thank President Trump for his service. Do we have to? On one thing, I think we do. He's been in office four years, and he has not gotten us into a shooting war anywhere. That's kind of unusual, based on the last many administrations. I'm trying to think the last person that would earn that award uh, among the presidents. Um, Jimmy Carter, I guess. Jimmy Carter stopped being president in January of 1981. So I think we should give credit where credit is due. Donald Trump was not somebody that wanted to get us into a war, and he did not. And, you know, I take my hat off to him for that. And before you write in to tell me that, oh, my God, he spent so much money for the military, that's almost, you know, it's almost as bad. Yeah, I I know, I I know. But he hasn't gotten anybody killed in combat by starting a war. That, That is something. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, it it appears he was almost ready to undo that as his administration ends and go ahead and attack Iran. But it looks as though at least four cooler heads prevailed. So for that, we want to thank Secretary of State Pompeo and Vice President Pence, which may be the first and last time on this program we thank them for much of anything. But hey, in this instance, we think it's deserved. And in some further good news, we have this. A federal judge in Washington has ruled against the head of the agency that runs the Voice of America and other U.S.-funded news outlets, who was accused of trying to turn it into a propaganda vehicle to promote President Trump's agenda. The preliminary injunction issued last Friday effectively bars the U.S. Agency for Global Media CEO Michael Pack from making personal decisions and interfering in editorial operations. PAC proceeded to purge the leadership of several divisions. The director and deputy director of VOA resigned just days before they were fired. The lawsuit filed by five executives who had been fired or suspended accused PAC of violating the, quote, statutory firewall, unquote, intended to protect the news organizations from political interference. That's good news. And since we're keeping it light today, why don't we take this moment to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this time, Ms. Merrill, let's use some of the music, shall we? Okay. Yeah, the fact is, sometimes when we're pressed for time, we're not able to insert that wonderful little musical riff from Ennio Morricone. But, you know, the bit suffers when it's not there. Something that was pointed out to me by a longtime listener. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for the Trump 
campaign staff with their merciful shuttering of the campaign's ill-fated voter fraud hotline. The hotline was evidently inundated by prank calls, including many which consisted of loud, let us say, impressions of flatus. One staffer was quoted as saying, it's misery working in the room from hell. Well, to that staffer, I would say, you know who you're working for, right? When you took the job, you knew that, right? At any rate, it was evidently a bad week last week for sibling rivalry with the news that an 18-year-old Taiwanese man emerged from a coma after 62 days of being in that state after his older brother threatened that if he didn't wake up, I'm going to eat your favorite chicken filet. You know, it's, it's hard to say what motivates people. But uh, one thing I learned in my many years in medicine is that, you know, you, you never want to argue with good results. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for impersonating an officer with the news that a woman allegedly impersonated an FBI agent and then demanded that the staff at the Georgia Chick-fil-A give her a free meal or she would have them locked up. Police say Kimberly Ragsdale, age 47, maintained the farce even after the cops arrived, speaking into her shirt as if it, she was wearing a wire and communicating with nearby federal officers. Send someone to Rockmart PD, she allegedly said. The chief of police, Randy Turner, said, You will not hear a real officer demand a free meal anywhere. Although <laughs> he couldn't help but add, oh, Discounts, of course, are appreciated. And, um... I was going to say, I was about to say we haven't done a stat of the day for a long time in this program, but my God, we've done so many stats in recent months that, uh, that I don't think anybody can accuse us of, of being overly shy of, of delving into statistics. But the stat I want to cite today from the Gallup organization is that despite the opposition to shutdowns, which you certainly find here and there in the country, 61% of the country now say the pandemic is worsening. This is up 19 points from September, where evidently only 42% of the people could look around and see what the hell's happening. We kind of suspect that, that number is true and, and just marvel at, at the fact that it could be so low, that people are not recognizing that the fall surge is upon us and, and all that that means. Second stat of the day is that the coronavirus has sidelined more than 130 Secret Service officers assigned to protect President Trump because they were either infected or quarantined after having close contact with infected colleagues. Since March, 300 Secret Service agents have been infected or quarantined, at least partly because of their presence at Trump's campaign rallies, according to the Washington Post. You have to wonder at this point, when you've been put in harm's way needlessly by the president, uh, how willing are you going to be to take a bullet for the guy? We certainly have no answer for that, but yours truly did uh, did cross paths with a Secret Service agent recently. I have no idea whether he'll ever come on this program. It'd be kind of fun if he did, though, because I can tell you, I got some questions for him. And I know for a fact he has some anecdotes. I just don't, I don't think he'll share them, but hope springs eternal. And uh, here's some, a couple of items that are out from the out-of-left-field department. Item one. In the middle of October, Pope Francis beatified a Pokemon-playing Italian computer whiz kid. That is the last step on the path to sainthood. Evidently, Carlos Acutis, who died of leukemia at age 15 back in 2006, taught himself to code while in elementary school in Milan. 
He used his skills to create websites for Catholic organizations and a site of his own to catalog miracles. His mother, Antonio Salzano, said he inspired her to return to her Catholic faith and insisted on attending daily Mass from age seven. Ms. Salzano said many people told her they had been healed of ailments, including cancer, after praying to her late son. Earlier this year, the Pope officially labeled the unexplained healing of a boy with malformed pancreas a miracle brought about by Carlo. If a second miracle is recognized by the Pope, Carlo could be made a saint. Uh, Now, I'm certainly no expert on sainthood, but I've got a feeling that Carlo is going to be the very first Pokemon-playing computer whiz kid to make the grade. This does remind me of uh, comedian Don Novello, who used to appear in Saturday Night Live as Father Guido Sarducci, reputedly the gossip columnist for the Il Observatore Romano, the official paper of the Vatican. Father Sarducci at one point was talking about how you, how you had to make sainthood, and I think at the time he was saying you had to have three miracles. In this case, he was downplaying the person who was uh, up for sainthood, saying that, that uh, he had heard personally that two of the miracles were card tricks. And how about this item from the world of science? Apparently female banded mongooses, and yes, that's correct, mongooses, not mongeese, have a cunning way of avoiding inbreeding, according to CNN.com. They trick the males in their own clan into picking a fight with another pack, then use the ensuing chaos to mate with the opposition. It was noted that these small cat-like carnivores native to Africa rarely leave the safety of their group, because of the dangers of leopards, pythons, and other predators. And whenever banded mongooses female are fertile, males stand guard around them and follow them everywhere. In the new study, researchers observed that the females deliberately steered their groups toward combative neighbors, inciting them to start a fight, and then sneaking off to hook up with rival males. I had a girlfriend like that once. Reportedly, co-author Faye Thompson from the University of Exeter in the UK said the females almost never die in the fights and show zero concern for what happens to the males in their group. That's definitely like my ex. Co-author Thompson said these females do not fit a heroic model of leadership, but their methods are successful. DNA analysis shows that about 20% of the pups in a group are fathered by males from another group. We're going to try and lean toward good news on today's program, and, 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 and the news on the vaccine front certainly has been good. The Russians claim they have a vaccine, but nobody really believes them. But it appears at this point there are, there are three different vaccines which are showing promise, the one by Pfizer and BioNTech, that's a consortium, and in addition to Moderna, and now AstraZeneca. We noted on this program many months ago that the world record for getting a vaccine out there with mass, uh, uh, mass administration to the public was five years, and it looks as though this one is going to get it done in about one and change. That is both remarkable and good news. But something I had not realized about these particular vaccines uh, needs to get talked about, not at great length today, but I do want to at least mention it today, which is that all of these vaccines are a new type of vaccine. They use messenger RNA. Now, one reason we're doing so well in the timing of this is that a messenger RNA vaccine is simpler to manufacture than more traditional vaccines. So it's just easier to make them at scale. Now, if it works, if these vaccines work, and it's believed that they will, this could open the door to all sorts of 
other vaccines that also use messenger RNA. New scientists writing about this noted that these are no ordinary vaccines. They quoted Anna Blakely at Imperial College in London as saying that part of the reason why the results from Pfizer are so exciting is that nobody has ever shown in humans that a messenger RNA vaccine can be effective. So yes, this is breaking new ground. Up till now, you had to get pieces of the virus uh, injected into a person to induce uh, a response to the foreign invader. But in this case, you're going to be given the sequence from the virus that will infect your cells, as does the virus, and have our human body cells then manufacture these proteins that antibodies will be formed to. And although I, I, I hate to be a wet blanket, the fact that this has never been done before should, should just dampen a bit of our enthusiasm. When I was a medical resident, our, uh, our preceptor that taught us infectious diseases would always point out that when a new antibiotic came along, it, it, always, it always did really well at first because, well, we, we knew that it worked. But what always took time to show up was the number of people who would have adverse reactions to it. With time, it was always seen to be a little bit less glowingly positive than, than you hoped at first. On the other hand, it is possible this will work as well as everybody hopes. It'll be the dawn of a new era in medicine. We, we can all hope for that. And in space news, which we are always tickled by, we note that uh, we're getting closer and closer to the grand conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. If you go out at night, my dear listener, and take a look after sunset in the southwest, you will see, we can't miss those two planets are the brightest thing in the sky. They're inching closer and closer, and on December 21st, will be only one-fifth the diameter of a full moon apart. There's all sorts of headlines saying this hasn't happened since the Middle Ages or this hasn't happened since Galileo was alive. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know where the truth lies in that, that these conjunctions take place like clockwork every couple of decades. But of course, some are going to be closer than others. I remember as a kid going to the planetarium, being taken to the planetarium by my folks to see the, the most popular show they always had at the planetarium in, in Golden Gate Park, which was the Star of the East. Every Christmas, they would speculate about what it was that produced the Star of the East in the Bible that led the wise men to seek Jesus, etc. And the whole thing was kind of a bizarre mishmash. But if my memory serves me correctly, it was a grand conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn back in circa 4 BC that some were saying may have been the Star of the East, but it wasn't the Star of the East. I'm sure of that because when we get the conjunction that we're going to get next month, no matter how wise these wise men may be, they're not going to be able to follow that to a manger anywhere. Anyway, we'll keep you posted about looking out for that uh, that conjunction. Oh, and the word conjunction, that just means, you know, they're, they're, they're close to one another. Anyway, the news is that the Chinese are planning to bring back a piece of the moon. They have a spacecraft on the far side of the moon which would be kind of cool to get some, some samples from that side. Every time we put someone down on the surface, which we did six different times, uh, well, they were on the side of the moon that faces us. China's plan is to launch a rocket this week, go to the moon, go to the far side, drill about two kilometers of rock, and return it to Earth. This will be, if successful, the first lunar sample return mission since 1976 when a Soviet probe, probe when a Soviet probe called Luna 24 sent back a mere 170 grams of lunar dust. 
And speaking of extraterrestrial dust, the Japanese space program is returning a sample from the asteroid Ryugu, I think it is. Or was it Bennu? It doesn't matter. If they got samples of an asteroid and they're coming back with it, they're going to drop it out in the middle of Australia. And if all goes well, for the first time, scientists here on Earth will be able to, to probe the secrets of what makes up an asteroid. Now, previous probes have brought pieces of a comet back for examination. And doggone it, we got to get a planetary scientist on, on this program to talk about some of this stuff because it, it's pretty cool. We'll see if we can put a call into our friends over at Planetary Radio, hosted by Matt Kaplan. We've had their spokesman, Bruce Betts, on this program more than once. Good bunch of guys, good organization, and uh, well, maybe they'll help us out. We also might want to reach out to our Australian correspondent to see if she knows anything about this as well. The news reports in America said it was going to be dropped into the Woomera protected area, but when I looked it up, it's actually the Woomera prohibited area. No, we don't know much about it, whether this is Australia's answer to Area 51. I, I, I guess it is. You know, I'm trying to remember, Mr. Miller, when they brought back that, that sample from the comet, it was supposed to land in Utah, and they told us uh, in Northern California, if you went out and looked to the northeast, you would see it reentering the Earth like a meteor, and by God, it did. I, I did see it. Well, I didn't. Well, you didn't stay up late enough. Anyway, we're not completely sure why this particular area was chosen, but... Having been to the outback in Australia, I would have to say if you're going to drop something down from space and, and, and hope to not hit anything of anything important like buildings or people or the interstate, you know, what, it's, it's, a good, it's a good spot. And Mr. Merlin is urging me to tell this story yet again. I guess I can't resist. <laughs> Many years ago, when I was working for the Indian Health in, in Gallup, New Mexico, I took a, a road trip to Meteor Crater, Arizona, was something I'd always wanted to see, and it is certainly a, it's a cool spot. Now, down there at the site, they have a large diorama showing uh, that section of Arizona and where the Behringer Crater is. Uh, it was formed, I think, 40,000 years ago, and yet has been you know, well-preserved because of the dry climate in that part of the United States. And although I did not hear it with my own ears, it was reported to me that at one point, tourists visiting the site, in this case, Australians observed the crater's location and remarked, oh, just missed the highway. Anyway, I can't swear it happened, but I, I think it did. And, and if it didn't, it should have. All right. I think at this point in time, we're going to start doing uh, the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series, and probably will do so throughout the second segment. All right. I've grabbed the 24th in the series of the Uncle John's Bathroom Readers. This is called 24 Karat Gold. And here's some quotes I like about um, friends. Quote from Arthur Glasgow said, A loyal friend laughs at your jokes when they're not so good and sympathizes with your problems when they're not so bad. Said Oscar Wilde, A true friend stabs you in the front. It was Aristotle who said, A friend to all is a friend to none. And finally, Lawrence J. Peter once observed, you can always tell a real friend. When you've made a fool of yourself, he doesn't feel you've done a permanent job. And here's a section entitled on opposing pages, Men Think They're So Funny, along with Women Think They're So Funny. Let's go with a man, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I hate pants. Neither my mother nor my wife is allowed to go out with me in pants. Mr. Mellon says he hopes Arnold's wearing pants. On the female side, we have Robin Morgan, who said, Don't accept rides from strange men, and remember that all men are as strange as hell. 
And we got Bill Maher sounding off. Women want to fight men for equal pay, but how often do they fight a man for the check? Ooh. Countered by Catherine May, who said, A man is like sitting in a bathtub. Once you get used to him, he's not so hot. And here's one from our old friend Will Durst. Men are superior to women. For one thing, men can urinate from a speeding car. Which is countered by Marianne Pearson, who said, Behind every successful man is a surprised woman. By the way, we are pleased to report that Mr. Will Durst is making a progress in his recovery. He recently showed up on Facebook. He evidently still has some further rehab ahead of him, but boy, it's great to see him back. We hope we have him back on the on the program, hopefully the next year. We like bagging on tech in this program, so naturally we, we'd like a section titled, There's an app for that? And the answer is apparently there is a woo button. When you tap the button on your phone, it shouts woo. And I don't know why anybody would want this, but you can get the SIM stapler. Press the finger of a stapler, and it makes a stapling sound. Makes your boss think you're working. And my personal favorite, UK Payphone. If you're traveling United Kingdom, this app will help you find the closest pay telephone, which does seem kind of pointless since you have to have your phone to use it. And lastly, everybody likes the dumb crook section. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if everybody likes it, but I like it. All right, here's the item, probably the first of many. Apparently, two men pulled a home invasion robbery in Charlotte, North Carolina in March of 2011. They made off with jewelry, a wallet, and other valuables. But as they fled, a t-shirt fell out of their getaway car. Not just any t-shirt. This one had a photo of one of the robbers on it, along with the slogan, Making money is my thang. When police displayed it on the local Crime Stoppers TV show, the man depicted on the shirt... 25-year-old Jonathan Huntley turned himself in. And there's an, there's, an, there's an extra dumb bonus to this one. The photo on the shirt was a mugshot from a previous armed robbery arrest for which Huntley had served seven years in prison. He'd only been out for four months when his mugshot shirt got him another mugshot. All right, we need to take a short break. Let's do that. I'm Douglas Everett listening to Radio Parallax, and we're going to have some fun the second half, so stick around for that. <laughs> 